A member of militia shot a protester in New Mexico last night while defending a statue of a racist conquistador. Kim Kardashian posted a tribute to black trans women, but used the wrong picture in her tweet. And police forces are driving around U.S. cities in what are basically tanks. We're talking to The Washington Post's Radley Balco about how we got here. The date, June 16th, 2020. The time, News O'Clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. Okay, really quickly, um, this is the best story. It Here in New York, some cops went to Shake Shack and then they didn't feel so hot. So then two police unions said that they were poisoned intentionally. It's just absolutely wild. I have so many questions and no matter what the answers are, I don't think I'll be satisfied. I mean, who hasn't gone to Shake Shack and gotten a stomach ache? I mean, come on. <laughs> right. At first they were like, oh God, it's bleach. They bleach poisoned our brave cops with the milkshakes. But turns out there was just some cleaning product left in the shake machine. So they're fine. Everyone's fine here. There was there was no Antifa milkshake protesters at Shake Shack. Everyone's fine. We're all going to make it. <laughs> okay, it is time for the TLDR, the most important headlines for the day brought to the top of your feed. Here are three things you need to know today. One, a protester was shot in New Mexico during a Black Lives Matter rally that was interrupted by a self-proclaimed militia yesterday evening. Protesters in Albuquerque were demonstrating for the removal of a statue of a Spanish conquistador that massacred hundreds of Native Americans. Basically think of it like the U.S. Southwest version of Confederate statues. Well, members of the New Mexico Civil Guard, as the militia calls themselves, didn't like that. A scuffle between a militia member and the protesters ended in gunshots. Police on the scene quickly apprehended the shooter. The victim is currently in critical condition. In the end, the mayor of the city announced that the statue would be removed due to the public safety risk it now presents. Beyond Albuquerque, there have been several counter-protests against the anti-racism marches in the U.S. over the last few weeks, including by bikers in Ohio and groups of men with bats in Philly. But the New Mexico incident was the most violent to date. Two. One of the most widely used models for coronavirus deaths now predicts that 200,000 Americans will die of COVID-19 by October. The Institute for Health Metrics and Estimations numbers have varied over the months. In April, it was predicting about 74,000 deaths by August, with no more than 130,000 maximum. Back then, it was actually the White House's preferred model. But states rolling back their pandemic prevention measures has caused the number to rise again and again. Meanwhile, the race for a coronavirus treatment or vaccine is still ongoing. Some encouraging news came out of the UK this morning, where a drug called dexamethasone reportedly showed promise against severe COVID cases. According to a news release, the drug reduced deaths in severe cases by about a third. That's way, way better than President Trump's preferred drug, hydroxychloroquine, has done in trials. The Food and Drug Administration actually pulled hydroxychloroquine from use in treating COVID cases yesterday. Needless to say, the president was upset. Three, as if we didn't have enough to worry about, not one, not two, but three nuclear powers in Asia are causing a bit of a hubbub. China and India share a border in the Himalayas that they've contested for decades. But lately, there's been a string of incidents that have both countries on edge, with soldiers scuffling in small-scale skirmishes. Punches, kicks, rocks, that kind of thing. 
But yesterday, a close quarters clash between the soldiers stationed up there in the mountains left 20 Indian soldiers dead, according to the Indian government, and at least several Chinese casualties. It's not clear yet how India will respond to the first Indian deaths on the Chinese border since the 1970s. And over in North Korea, things have been extra tense this week. The country is estimated to have more nuclear weapons on hand than it did when Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met last year. Today, they literally blew up a building that housed a program meant to facilitate dialogue with South Korea. Literally blew it up with explosions. Wow, that was uh, a lot today, Hayes. Yes, it was! From all different facets, you know, it was coming at us from all different directions here. I do I do have to say about the vaccine, I really I, I, I'm probably too hopeful when it comes to vaccines, but I get with states opening up too quickly. It's like any news of a vaccine. I'm like, yes, please, let's get it moving. We need it. Right. And I mean, this this, this treatment that they've got is not, you know. Perfect. It's not going to save all the lives, but some lives are good. Some is good. Yes. Oh, and really quickly, I have to mention back on the Albuquerque situation, it's really weird. The local Republican Party issued a statement condemning the shooting and then later retracted it when they realized that the shooter had allegedly run for local office. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. A quick retraction on their part. Okay. <laughs> weird things all around. Weird things all around today, Casey. All right, it's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most thank God and most oh my God no stories from around the internet. Good news for pretty much everyone, the Oscars have officially been delayed for two months. So the Academy announced yesterday that the 93rd Academy Awards ceremony, which was originally supposed to be held on February 28th, 2021, is now scheduled for April 25th. Which, great. Honestly, I'm looking, I love anything that's already moving things that are in 2021 further back. It's a good idea. (laughs) And this is great news for filmmakers vying for an Oscar as the eligibility date has also been moved to February 28th. That shift was meant to give filmmakers who haven't gotten the chance to finish or release their movies due to COVID-19 more time to catch up and qualify for this award season. But... It's also good news for everyone because, woohoo, those ceremonies have been boring. When was the last good Oscars, Casey? Because I can't remember. I, I genuinely don't know from like not having hosts anymore, which is like fine. Okay, sure, whatever. Sure, I don't I don't want a bad host, but also you can't just replace it with just another bad thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a reason for why you got rid of that host. But also, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, the last time I had fun watching it was probably like when Moonlight won instead of La La Land. That was no one... Like, the reaction was amazing. But, I mean, then it's balanced out with last year being awful with the Green Book winning, you know? (laughs) Yes, completely agree with you there. I don't, I probably wasn't even going to watch in 2021, so whatever. And the bad news, the family of Raya Milton, a black trans woman who was killed last week, is calling out Kim Kardashian for using the wrong picture in her Twitter tribute. So, Kim posted a tweet which read, Black Trans Lives Matter, which is good. But the image attached actually included a photo not of Raya Milton, but an aunt of hers who died in April. So Kim's tweet went up on Saturday. By Sunday, Raya's sister and two of her cousins were in Kim's mentions asking her to please take it down. As one family member wrote, quote, please take my aunt's picture down and do your research, which, yes, please do your research. And 
as of this episode's taping, Kim still has yet to correct the post or say anything about it. So awkward. Like, uh, Kimberly, you were trying. You really were. But, oh, man, to not even notice this is what's really killing me. Yeah, that is. It's like, did she not notice it? Did she not see it in her mentions? Did she see it? And she just thinks like, oh, I don't want to do a correction or an update. I mean, I just don't really understand what the thought process is here and why it's still up. Uh, They're having such a weird week, the Kardashian Jenners. Right now, they're apparently in Wyoming for vacation, which is, sure, take your private jets and fly out to Wyoming, I guess. Forget social distancing, whatever. Of course. Who's taking vacations right now? Who? Millionaires. Millionaires Casey can still take vacations. Before we take a quick break, this Friday is Juneteenth, and we're really excited about the show we've got lined up for you guys out there. But first, we want to know, what are you, the listeners, planning to do to commemorate Juneteenth? Is it an annual thing for you, or will this be the first time that you're celebrating? Let us know, and we'll include it in our show. Open up the Voice Memo app on your phone, share your Juneteenth plans, and email that file to newsoclock at gmail.com. That's News O'Clock, all one word. You can also DM us with your plans on Twitter. We're at News O'Clock on there. When we come back, we're talking with Radley Balco of the Washington Post about the militarization of police forces. Stay right there. Chief it. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out. Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This season, get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass. Let's go! See every snap from every game with full game replays. What a throw, what a catch! Listen to all the action as it happens with live game audio. Watch the dog, Jeep! Leaping grab to Monte Adams! Plus, watch your team on your time with condensed game replays. Wow! Get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. Welcome back. When protests broke out in Ferguson back in 2014, people were surprised to see police officers driving around in what looked like actual tanks. Since then, we've seen police forces roll out military-grade gear again and again, most recently at Black Lives Matter protests around the country. But where did all the military equipment come from? 
Here to answer that question is today's guest, Radley Balco. He's an opinion writer for The Washington Post and author of the book, The Rise of the Warrior Cop. Thanks for joining us, Radley. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's go back a bit. When did the U.S. first get this idea, this notion of a police officer basically being a soldier on city streets? I think it's a, it was a gradual thing um, driven in a large part by politicians and, and kind of their rhetoric. Um, I think you can trace a lot of it back to the 1968 presidential campaign where uh, Richard Nixon was, um, to be sort of blunt about it, was trying to uh, appeal to white middle class people and make them you know, play to their fears of, of black crime in the cities. Um, and really took a, uh, you know, coined the phrase war on drugs and, uh, you know, took that phrase very seriously. Um, he, one of the main policies that he pushed was the no-knock raid, which is still with us today, um, which, you know, was a way of kind of showing how tough on crime we could be and, and to take a kind of a more militaristic aspect to the drug war. We didn't see the Reagan administration really ramp up both the rhetoric and the policies when it comes to um fighting a, 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 you know, almost literal war on drugs. We start to see more cooperation between the military and local police, more training between the two. And we see the Reagan administration really starts making the first efforts toward shifting surplus military gear over to local police departments for use in domestic policing. We see this then codified into law in the 1990s with the 1033 program. Uh, and this is a program where the police departments could literally log on to a website now and, and just pick whatever gear they want from the Pentagon, and they just have to take care of the shipping. That really kind of drove police militarization for about 15, 20 years until September 11th. And then we see the Department of Homeland Security starts giving out grants, checks to police departments across the country to buy new military equipment. And this gives rise to what you, you might call the police industrial complex, because now you have companies that exist to build this new military-grade equipment in exchange for that DHS money. Some of the gear that cops have sent out against protesters in the past few weeks are really heavy-duty. How are police forces justifying buying vehicles that run over landmines to take on protesters? Well, the the key is that they don't have to buy them. Uh, These are surplus um, MRAPs, they call them, uh, that come from the Pentagon, uh, and it's a, you know it's an interesting case study in this trend because the MRAPs were designed for a very specific purpose. Uh, they were designed to, to run on a convoy in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. Um, because those wars ran on so long, we built a lot of MRAPs and, and, and needed to do something with them. And so they just started giving them away to police departments across the country. And the thing about an MRAP is it's not a tank. It doesn't have guns. You know, it doesn't have a turret. It is just this big ass truck. Uh, and but it was, <laughs> but it was not designed for use on on domestic streets. Uh, it tends to tear up the roads. But they also, you know, reflect a kind of mentality that I think is often overlooked when we talk about police militarization. We tend to focus on the gear and the guns and the you know tanks and the armored vehicles. But the flip side of that problem is what it does to the mindset of both the police officers who are in those vehicles and using that stuff, and also what it does to the mindset of people who are being policed. And in both cases, there's this danger of cops starting to see themselves as soldiers and the people who are being police starting to see themselves as sort of, you know, occupants of a, uh, or residents of an occupied zone. Um, and so we need to think about the mindset problem as well as the, the actual gear itself. Is there any evidence that you've come across that these weapons ever act as like a deterrent? Like, is there thinking among force that if criminals know that the police have this equipment, you know, squat gear, sniper rifle, et cetera, that they won't commit crimes? 
Yeah, that's, I mean, we often hear police departments say, you know, they want these big trucks and they want them to look scary and intimidating because the criminals will fear them then and they won't commit crimes. And there's just no data to back that up. In fact, there have been studies looking at sort of the correlation between the amount of gear the department gets from the, sur- the surplus program and what happens to crime rates. Uh, and they've, there's been no connection between the two found, you know, to date. And when it comes to protest, I think it's actually the opposite effect. I think, you know, often... Um, you get what you sort of come to the protest expecting. Um, I interviewed a number of police chiefs, current and former, for my book, and the overwhelming sentiment was that if cops come to a protest expecting violence, it becomes self-fulfilling. If they come in the full kind of RoboCop gear, it tends to dehumanize the protesters because the police now see them not as citizens with rights, but as uh, potential threats of people who are going to, you know, start looting or rioting. And it actually also dehumanizes the cops in the eyes of the protesters. When you show up in that, you know, with the full face shield and riot gear, you're no longer, you know, Officer Jones who has blue eyes and a mustache. Now you're sort of the nameless, faceless representation of everything that the protesters are there to, you know, oppose. And probably the most provocative uh, person I talked to was Norm Stamper, who was the police chief in Seattle during the the WTO riots in 1999. And Mm In, in his book, he talks about how, uh, you know, he'd seen that previous economic summits like this had, had, you know, resulted in violence. And so he trained his cops for weeks and he told them, you know, uh, trained them in every possible way to suppress violence and, and pre- prevent mm-hmm. things from getting out of hand. He bought them what he called the latest sort of RoboCop gear. And what ended up happening is there was violence, uh, but a lot of it was instigated by cops who... Uh, basically were were scared because they had been told for weeks that things were going to get violent. And they ended up, mm. you know, starting violence by firing tear gas canisters behind protesters, where, which meant the only place they could run was straight at the police. Right. Um, and, you know, he didn't have his revelation when he wrote the book, but afterward, uh, Stamper, you know, saw how cities were, were responding to protests in the years since. Uh, and he said, it, you know, it, it, he was heartbroken over it. He says this is the biggest mistake in his life. And, and the fact that this has become the default response to protest, um, he feels like he shoulders a lot of the blame for that. So just really quickly, out of curiosity, uh, what's the most egregiously unnecessary acquisition by a police force that you've seen in your research? Well, the really weird one to me is always uh, bayonets. Uh, police departments love bayonets. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's no we're for the not, many cavalry charges that they go through. <laughs> right, exactly. We're not we're not fighting Napoleon, right? Um, and, and you know, even if there's no real domestic police use for a bayonet, but police departments seem to love them. But also, the, you know, one of the more disturbing ones are 50 caliber weapons. Um, you know, a 50 caliber bullet will go through several city blocks, no matter what's standing in the way. It's you know, it's used on the battlefield to take out tanks. There's no real conceivable use for it in domestic policing. In a, you know, in, in the extent that there is, it would be extremely rare. So the idea that they need to have them on hand at all times, you know, is really problematic. And and it's you know, it's a, it's a product of the fact that it's there for the taking. Mm-hmm. So you might as well take it. Do you see the recently elevated defund the police movement as being on the same page as calls to demilitarize the police? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of different sort of strands of protest activists, advocates for change, reform uh, going on right now. I I kind of think it's a mistake to get too caught up in the the language or the, the labels that people are use, using to describe their movements. You know, I'm not an abolitionist, but I do think that people, a lot of the people who who are, have a lot of very good proposals, well thought out proposals. Um, some of them are pretty radical, but also we, you know, we're I think we're at a point where we need to start thinking radically. Um, 
So, you know, we could dramatically scale back the footprint of police in the United States uh, if we just, you know, start thinking more in terms of abolition and less uh, than uh, in terms of reform. So a good example is traffic laws. Um, There's no reason why our traffic laws need to be enforced by the police. Mm -hmm. Um, You could use, you know, unarmed uh, meter mains. There's no reason why traffic laws couldn't be enforced by people, you know, uh, sort of more uh, bureaucratic uh, agencies who go out in cars and they call on your license plate and you get a ticket in the mail. And if you think mm-hmm. about sort of the, the the source of, you know, the the animosity and complaints between police and marginalized communities, a lot of it does boil down to traffic stops, whether it's mm-hmm. racial profiling, whether it's pretext stops for drug searches, whether it's you know, the fact that black people are, are searched at a much higher rate than white people, even though white people are more likely to have contraband, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, uh, you know, violence, whether it's, um, you know, cops perceiving that they're being disrespected. I mean, you can eliminate a lot of that and a lot of those interactions just by getting police out of the game of traffic enforcement. And I think that's that's kind of the, the way we need to be thinking. We need to sort of, you know, it sounds sort of radical because it's always been the way it is, but we need to ask for questions like, does it really need to be that way? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a good example of something that, you know, we could be more creative and find uh, less confrontational ways to achieve the same kind of public safety results. Radley, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks. Okay, okay, we have time for one more thing. And today, it's a wild story about the Black Lives Matter Foundation. Casey, did you get a chance to read this BuzzFeed news piece yesterday? Oh, I did get the chance and my jaw was on the floor the entire time. I know. Okay, so a quick recap for those folks at home who haven't read it yet, though you should eventually. Uh, So the last few months have seen a bunch of donations being collected for the Black Lives Matter Foundation. Uh, but spoilers, the foundation has nothing to do with the Black Lives Matters movement. Highlights. The Black Lives Matters Foundation is actually just one person, a 67-year-old man from Santa Clarita, California. Corporations like Google, Apple, and Microsoft raised nearly $4 million for the foundation, a.k.a. this one person in the last few weeks. GoFundMe had to freeze all of the money that was going to go to him. And he wouldn't tell BuzzFeed News how much he's raised already over the years. Okay, and, 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 the foundation's goal is to, quote, help bring the police and the community closer together in an effort to save lives. This story is so... Freaking wild, Casey. I can't. Every sentence, I was just like, what is happening next? Right. Shout out to Ryan Mack and Brianna Sachs of BuzzFeed News for getting this story because it it makes you really question how much vetting is going into nonprofits that are raising money. I, I So much money, so much money, millions of dollars. Imagine if that had actually gone to him. I know it is so much money and it just uh, immediately, I sent it to so many people because I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but I know people that work at these big corporations. They go, hey, my company's matching. If you want to donate through me, then we can like raise double, triple the amount of money, make like more bang for your buck. And I've contributed to that. And it's just like, oh my God, we've we've been bamboozled. (laughs) Hoodwinked, run amok. (laughs) Oh man, part of the problem with all of this is that it's so hard to know who is who for something as nebulous as Black Lives Matters. Like the movement does have its own trademark at this point, but it's not a nonprofit. So that's why so many companies are like, oh, yes, this foundation over here, you're a 501c3. Take the money. Take it. (laughs) 
Oh, you you know what this makes me think of though? The best trademark case in history. Vanilla Ice explaining why Ice Ice Baby is not the same as Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure. Please play the tape. And people who don't understand rap music, they say, well, he borrows this or steals this. Rap music, every major rap artist in the world samples music, you know? Okay, well, Hayes, I think you just called a 67-year-old black man Vanilla Ice. uh, And honestly, I think that's where we should wrap this up and leave it. That's it for today. Join us (laughs) tomorrow for a calming meditation session meant to get you through the rest of the week. Now I'm just messing with you. It'll be more absolute chaos, I'm sure. And remember, always research who you're giving money to. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Peacock streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, sir! Head over to NFLShop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, T-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLShop.com. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network.